Hey, it's Bill Simmons. We're not just reacting to the NBA playoffs on my podcast. We're also doing it on the Ringer NBA show and the Mismatch podcast. They are coming after some of these NBA playoff games. Check it out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's the Full Go presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every, that's right, every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Chicago everywhere. Check it. It's not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go Podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. He is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. Talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. yeah. All right, this is uh, episode 107. 107. Yeah, You, you know what? You're on a streak of getting the episodes yeah, right, by the I'm, way. I'm getting right. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to watch the next five or six in a row. Nah, I believe uh, in you. I believe break in you. Streak, Jesse. I believe in you. I believe in you. This is this baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Episode 107 of the Full Go Podcast with Jason Golf brought to you by The Ringer. And as always, Spotify is the gang. We are appreciative of everybody out there who is tuning in. Um, all the people in there, shout outs to, I mean, I've been getting in trouble for my shout outs lately. Uh, and the, the old parking attendant one didn't, uh, didn't land with the, uh, the folks the way I thought it would, but that's fine. You'll get over it. You love me anyway. I appreciate you. Um, but yeah, episode 107. And, you know, I don't think, I don't think I'm more talented than a lot of people that are doing this job, whether it be podcasting or people who are on sports talk radio on a daily basis. Um, the only thing that I've ever thought separated me from P 
people who I think are greater orators, maybe better interviewers, uh, people who have multi-level thinking that I just, I, I'm in awe of, right? Like it's, it's less hate with me and more respect, like man. Like when I hear people speak and also hear people jump into things effortlessly when it comes to serious subjects or subjects of leisure or whatever the case may be. You know, you got to be a chameleon in this business sometimes, especially watching sports where you're asked to give an opinion on something sometimes where there might not have be a strong one there. And I stopped talking about those things, to be honest with you. Like, why waste your time or mine? We watch the same sports. We see the same things. But what's going to differentiate this podcast or what I'm saying from anybody else? And, and all I've learned throughout my years is nobody has lived your youth. So your experiences are the things that separate you. And in that, I try to be as vulnerable as I possibly can be and, and bring my life experiences so you know why I think the way I think about certain things. So when we're talking sports and I'm breaking it down to you, if you've listened to it for any period of time that I've had a microphone in front of me, you go, okay, I understand. I don't agree with Jay on that, but I understand why he's there because I give you more, hopefully, and it's not that I'm trying to do it. It's just, it's all I know how to do. It's the only thing that I think, um, it's the only, the only reason I think I keep getting these jobs, to be honest with you, is because I'm willing to go places that are uncomfortable for me. And I know a lot of broadcasters don't want to do that because you make like yourself part of the story, whatever the case may be. So on a, on a three times a week podcast that I have, had the good fortune to land uh, here at the Ringer, courtesy of Bill Simmons and the good people at Spotify. I get a chance to work with Steve Cerruti. I get a chance to work with my man, Jesse Lopez. Chris Tannehill was on for a little bit now, Tony Gill. Like, I get a chance to work with some, some outstanding people, and I get a chance to be listened to by people who could be doing anything else in the world. And I'm appreciative of that. So I find it in me that I got to tell y'all the truth. I got to tell y'all how I feel about things. And on this night, and we're recording right now, 10.07 uh, on the 24th. On this night where my notes, they're putting together all day, right? Like watch Heat Celtics this morning. Wanted to jump into that with y'all. Saw the Celtics jump them boys at the crib. And the refs let them play early on. And the bullies got stood up to. And I appreciate it. And of course, you know, Jimmy's knee, uh, I should say Jimmy's injury, uh, Victor Oladipo uh, is, is becoming a more important part of that situation. Bam Adebayo had a tough game, but the Celtics did what the Celtics were supposed to do. Jump on them boys immediately after questioning yourself and second guessing yourself in game three the way you should have. Wanted to come in here and talk about that. Wanted to also talk about Nick Foles. They falls the Indianapolis coach, y'all. Like, and, and you're like, Jay, why is that a big deal? Nick Foles is the only motherfucker that told the truth about this offense last year. You remember that moment where Nick Foles was caught on the sideline saying, yeah, Matt, don't really know why you keep on running this. It ain't working. He said the offense wasn't working on the sidelines and got caught. And then when asked about it, Nick Foles really didn't, he didn't run from it. You know, Nick Foles is a man of God. That's all he feared. <laughs> He's like, yeah, the offense ain't working. We ain't scoring. He ain't saying it like that, but you know, you get the drip. So when I saw Nick Foles sign on with the Indianapolis Colts, you knew it was bound to happen, right? But 
I'm like, man, the only guy who told the truth about the Bears' offense last year is no longer a Bear. It's kind of it kind of works out that way. Justin can't tell the truth right now. Well, he can if he wanted to, but he looked crazy talking about, you know, his only coach and his only offensive coordinator and all the other things that were his first last year in his rookie year. And of course, the powers that be ain't going to talk about it because they don't have to anymore. Right. It's a whole new regime in there. Wanted to come in here and talk about that as well. Zach Levine. Oh, Zach Levine. This is why the Full Go podcast needs to be in your ear at all times because what, a couple weeks now ago, I was like, yeah, 75, 25, y'all. Like, this ain't no slam dunk. And all of a sudden, things are percolating. LeVar Ball goes on David Kaplan's show. And, and LeVar Ball says, Zach is out of there. Next thing you know, I'm talking to people that I don't want to be talking to around the nation about Zach Levine and the Chicago Bulls. I get the bigs in here. And, and, and Gene, as, as cool and as calmly as anybody possibly could be, was like, I think he's gone. And Anthony Davis is going to be here. And I'm fine with that. I'm like, wait a minute. How did we get here? Right? Wanted to come in here and talk about that, too. Because the Zach Levine angle is fascinating to me. Like, everybody's looking at this from the bull standpoint. But flip the script. Look at it from Zach Levine's standpoint. San Antonio come calling, the guy that you reached a certain level of success, perfect, success professionally that you had never reached before. Your Olympic head coach, Greg Popovich, and a guy that you rock with heavy, DeJounte Murray, a burgeoning star in this league there. And, and, and I'm not saying Zach is ever running from any smoke. Getting covered in San Antonio is a little bit different than getting covered in Chicago. And what if you can taste the same glory, right? What if you can go deep into the Western Conference playoffs because Pop is reinvigorated and all of a sudden you're playing next to a little assassin, not you know, six five, but a little assassin like DeJounte Murray, a young assassin like him. I'm not saying that, that team is going to beat up on the Denver's of the world and the Golden States of now, and right? Like, that's not happening. The Minnesotas of the world are still going to be ahead of them if that's the case. But these are the things that Zach is probably weighing. The L.A. situation. I mean, Los Angeles Lakers, what more can you say? The Portland situation. Dame Donald. That man has been pining for a guy, I think, since C.J. McCollum left and a little bit before that because he knew C.J. McCollum was going to be the one that had to walk. And Damian Lillard is under a certain amount of pressure that asking to be an all-star comes with. Because you get a few all-star bursts, and then your fan base starts like, all right, when, when are you going to win something? You get to name a head coach, essentially, in Chauncey Phillips, even though you know there's a lot around that, and him saying that it wasn't his call after the smoke came for Chauncey Phillips from previous issues that he had had. Damian Lillard is looking around like, ah, I said I'd be forever loyal to this thing, so how about you come on over here and play with us? And the packages that you'd have to put together to get a Zach Levine, they'd have to come with some picks. They'd have to come with somebody who's ready to start right now for the Chicago Bulls. Like, you'd get, you'd get a decent haul. But in the end, would you get a top 30 player? Would you get a top 25, top 20 player when he's healthy? How healthy is that going to be? That's why I don't think any of this is a slam dunk. Do I want to see Zach Levine remain a bull? Yeah. Do I want to see Zach Levine remain a bull at a max contract? All right. Cool. 
But what else is happening around Zach Levine? DeMar DeRozan isn't going to be DeMar DeRozan of last year for the next five, six years. And that's the time that you're talking about for this contract, right? Five years, 212 some odd million dollars. And then you ask yourself, who's going to be Zach's running mate? Is it going to be Lonzo Ball? What's going on with his knees? Ayo DeSumo, what will his career look like in three years? Because I think it's going to be special. I think, I think you got a special, special competitor on your hands. It may not ever be the, the most special talent, but the man does a lot of things well at a very early age and is a disciplined, disciplined worker. So while we're sitting back as Bulls fans trying to figure out what you can get for Zach and do you really want to pay Zach, flip the script. This is the same man who had to go out and get his own deal. He had to go find Sacramento and say, hey, are you willing to pay me this? Because this is how much they don't want to pay me. That shit happens, and it sticks to dudes. Not saying it's sticking to him, but I wouldn't be surprised if when it all comes up, when your agent sits down with you, which is Rich Paul, of Clutch Sports Management, when Rich Paul sits down with you and says, yo, don't just remember the good times. Judge this thing in totality because, like any relationship, you don't have, I, I say it all the time. I've said it to my fiance. I've said it to other people before. Uh, listen, and I'm not just talking about, like, relationships, man and woman. I'm talking about building blocks of any kind of relationships. You got to figure out what a person's basement is because you're going to have to live in it sometimes. Like what their lowest points are. And I think Rich Paul is instructing his client to understand, think about the low moments as well. Don't let this season be the only thing that um, paints the picture for your decision. Which any good agent should do. I'm not mad at that at all. I just, I, as we're talking about the Zach Levine thing and we're getting closer and closer to signing trade time and the draft is around the corner and all these things that are coming up here, this offseason is unraveling. And not, not in a bad way, but like unfolding right before our eyes. So nothing's going to surprise me. What would surprise me if Zach went out there and got the 156 or whatever that's out there for a player of his ilk? that it would be completely unrestricted free agents. Zach's going to sign with the Chicago Bulls, I believe. Unless, and if Zach Levine doesn't sign with the Chicago Bulls, then it is way worse than we ever imagined. Because leaving 50-some-odd million dollars on the table just because you don't want to sign with that team for them to trade you, for them to get better, or then pick the, picking a trade partner if you don't trust it, then there's, there's a lot of this stuff there that we probably have not unearthed yet. But Zach Levine is going to sign with Chicago Bulls. Now, is Zach Levine going to be a Chicago Bull? As we get closer and closer, and as you hear things like this, you tell me how you feel about it. Got to ask what you're doing here, man. You, uh, any... I live here, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> any good news for the Lakers fans out there? We got pictures there? Joy. Is there a pay for the... Uh... Did we pick the uh, yeah, you got it. You're all good. I got to ask you because LeVar Ball says he might be coming to the Lakers. So. Me and Lonzo, boy. I'm all good, man. Thank you. I'm all good, man. I got you. Okay. Anything you want to say to Lakers fans? I've always been a good fan. I've always been a good fan base. Zach handled that the way he should have handled it. He made sure that. Maybe a prospective client understands that, hey, I'm down with y'all too. And he said to his current running mate, me and Lonzo Ball are good. You know Lonzo and Zach talked shortly after that situation occurred. You know they did. But Zach's playing this thing the way he should. And this is the other thing too. People, people hear, hey, you know, he's going to go get wooed or he's never been wooed before. That matters. Be a, <laughs> no, 
there is no man, woman, child out there that doesn't want to feel wanted. I, the toughest of tough guys. Oh, I don't, I don't care. That, that, that don't matter to me. Well, guess what? You, you're lying. Everybody wants to feel wanted. People want to be where they feel celebrated and not tolerated in any line of employment, any relationship whatsoever. So, yeah, if Zach Levine is running around now having dinners with people or meeting with people and having a good time, yes. Guess what? He hadn't been recruited since since his freshman year at UCLA. Fine. Feel good about yourself. I got no problem with that. All in all, this thing, I think, you know, I think I think Zach Levine will end up a bull. I think he will, but I do not think it's a slam dunk. And I think this process is going to be drawn out because of who's representing him and him caring about his client and him caring about what his client uh, needs to be realized as the player that he's, I think, perceived by, you know, perceived as, I should say, by some. He's perceived as a dude who is taking steps, taking jumps. And now this knee injury, this is like a demarcation point for him in his career. Okay, what happens here? What what's next for Zach Levine? Is the Uber athletic Zach Levine going to still be? If he's not Uber athletic Zach, what does this game look like for him going forward? And what does that money look like for him going forward? Which is the question in the side that the Bulls have to win. All in all, I think Zach Levine will be a bull. And I said I wasn't gonna go too much into it, but I did <laughs> because I needed something. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. It's the full go, I'm going to tell y'all what I did today. Uh, got a chance to talk to Dan Rome. You guys are getting ready to hear that. Dan Rome and I weren't aware of what was happening uh, or what had happened. Uh, in the state of Texas. Um, You know, 10 years ago, I was in Atlanta. And one of my first shows on the night show with Jason Goff on 92.9 The Game in Atlanta, one of my first shows came the night of the Sandy Hook shooting. And It took a lot out of me. It did a lot to me. Um, I cried on air. My very first segment, you know, I couldn't really, you know, people want you to talk to Falcons and the Braves and all that. I'm like, I'm a person and and we're talking to people. Um, full disclosure, my, my program director wanted to uh, yank me off the air that night um, because I was crying or because I cried in that first segment. And my assistant program director, Sean Thompson at the time, told him, nah, let's, let's let him do his thing. And I appreciated that in that moment because I had, I probably cried probably once or twice on the year before that. It was my last show before I went to Atlanta was one. And before that, uh, 
man, I can't, I can't remember. But that night was especially hard for me because um, I have a fondness and affinity for kids um, and the innocence that they are supposed to be able to grow up with and the protector and provider role that I couldn't wait to, um, to a man at some point, you know, uh, this, I've been, I've wanted to be a lot of things. I'm, I'm giving this to like therapy talk now, but I've been, I've wanted to be a lot of things in my life. You know, uh, when I was 11, 10 years old, I told my mom that I was going to be uh, a sports talk radio host. And not many people get a chance to live out their dreams. And I did get a chance. And I do get a chance on a daily basis um, with this pod as well. Uh, But more so than anything, I always wanted to be a good dad. And that's kind of wild for even like a kid to think that way. But I always wanted to figure out how to best raise, best nurture, and best take care of a child. Um, And that night, 10 years ago, hit me in a way that I wasn't ready for and didn't know was coming or happening. Right. You know, sometimes you can feel yourself getting emotional and other times it just hits you. Like I've been able to stifle some of those things in a lot of serious moments. Um, the Buffalo shooting. Um, that, you know. Elderly people, hell, any age, <laughs> you going out to get yourself some food. Um, you know, the, the essentials, right, feeding and sustaining your family and health. And doing that with meals, the, the communion of, of mealtime. You know, I grew up in a household where every Sunday morning we ate breakfast together no matter what. And that was our family tradition, and I appreciated it. No matter what times were good or bad, we found your ass at that, that breakfast table. And the fact that my mom had gone out so many times to buy food for an event like that, you know, you had a bunch of people who were in those stores who were getting ready to feed themselves and also feed their loved ones. And, and they got mowed down by um, a person who got their hands on a weapon that um, is intended to kill as many as possible, as quickly as possible. Um, and I don't have the answers here, but 10 years ago when I cried on the air, uh, I meant it. And it was, it was as troubling a segment as I've had. And I got so much like, um, oh, that was so strong and you were so great. Nah, man, you don't want to be strong or great. You know, sometimes you just want to just chill and live. And I guess without continuing to ramble, um, I picked my son up from school earlier than I normally do today. And um, I didn't watch much news. And I felt like I was doing a disservice to the people uh, who had been the adults, the two adults who had been murdered. And now uh, to this count uh, at 10, 23, as we are recording here, the 19 children who were murdered. Um, it, it, it hits a different chord for me because I know how I feel about my baby, and I know that I I will and have fought for my baby from the moment he was born. And 
to know that as my child is probably about 55, 60 feet away from me, sleeping in his bed, that 19 families don't have that, um, that spirit and that energy that they sent to school this morning uh, is heartbreaking. And to know that a grandmother and a teacher um, who were trying to nurture lives and go protect and pick up lives maybe, or just to, just to try to make, you know, someone a little bit more whole. And this, these someone's being little people, young people, to know that an 18-year-old gunman can get his hands on and then proceed to mow down children in a country that claims to be as um, righteous, as sanctified, as quote-unquote God-fearing, as, uh, as elite as we claim to be. Um, if you don't think that the problems are here, always have been here and continue to be here when it comes to these kinds of violence, because I'm be I'm gonna keep it a buck with y'all. When rich white kids got mowed down Sandy Hook, uh, that was the clarion call to a lot of people that this was never gonna change. And now we're talking about um we're talking about now 19 little people, 19. And that's the thing, not just kids, people, people who didn't get a chance to grow up to be people. So I don't want to, I don't want to bum you guys out any more than you probably already have been bummed out, but man, like fuck sports on days like this, man. I know everybody needs a reprieve and everybody needs to get away, but uh, we keep getting away and these things keep happening. So um, I'll leave you guys with Steve Kerr and then we have an interview afterwards. Um, I'm not going to talk about basketball. Nothing's uh, happened with our team in the last six hours. We're going to start the same way tonight. Um, any basketball questions uh, don't matter. Um, since we left shoot around, 14 children were killed 400 miles from here. And a, and a teacher. And in the last 10 days, we've had elderly black people killed in a supermarket in Buffalo. We've had Asian churchgoers killed in Southern California. And now we have children murdered at school. When are we going to do something? I'm tired. I'm, I'm so tired of getting up here and offering condolences to, to the devastated families that are out there. I'm so tired of the, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm tired of the moments of silence. Enough. There's 50 senators right now who refuse to vote on HR 8, which is a background check rule that the House passed a couple years ago. It's been sitting there for two years. And there's a reason they won't vote on it, to hold on to power. So I ask you, Mitch McConnell, I ask all of you senators who refuse to do anything about the violence and school shootings and supermarket shootings, I ask you, are you going to put your own desire for power ahead of the lives of our children and our elderly and our churchgoers? 
because that's what it looks like. It's what we do every week. So I'm fed up. I've had enough. We're going to play the game tonight. But I want every person here, every person listening to this, to think about your own child or grandchild or mother or father or sister or brother. How would you feel if this happened to you today? We can't get numb to this. We can't sit here and just read about it and go, well, let's have a moment of silence. Yeah, go Dubs, you know. Come on, Mavs, let's go. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go play a basketball game. And, the, and 50 senators in Washington are going to hold us hostage. Do you realize that 90% of Americans, regardless of political party, want background check, universal background check? 90% of us, we are being held hostage by 50 senators in Washington who refuse to even put it to a vote, despite what we, the American people, want. They won't vote on it because they want to hold on to their own power. It's pathetic. I've had enough. In our next interview, you will hear from 38-year sports broadcasting, sports anchoring legend, Dan Rohn of the great WGN. Uh, he will be joining us here in a couple of moments. Uh, we did not, as I discussed in the first segment, we did not have the news of the unfortunate mass shooting uh, in Texas. And uh, that's why it was not brought up. Uh, but hopefully Dan Rohn and his stories uh, will, will uh, regale you and entertain you uh, for the short amount of time. And then we can get back to, as I hopefully, hopefully um, wish for and hope for and say all the time, uh, hopefully we can get back to taking care of each other. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Hey, it's Len Casper, the radio voice of the White Sox. You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff. What's up, Dan? Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm good, brother. How are you? Good. Good to see you. Hey, man. Good to be seen. Good to be seen. So we just start recording here on the Full Go podcast. Try to make this as conversational as possible. So who's the biggest asshole you've ever covered? No, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> I'm, just messing with you. I'm not going to get it. I want to know. 
So yeah, no, no, don't worry. But before the end of this conversation, I, I hope we, uh, I hope we delve into what has been a, a sterling career. Dan Rohn joining us here on the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff, brought to you by The Ringer and of course Spotify's The Gang. Now, I don't want to age this man, right? Because it's not, it's not respectful. Too late. It's not, it's not respectful to do so. But uh, Dan Rohn started doing this thing at WGN when I was still going to Belize uh, for my summer vacation as a kid. So my connection to the thing that kind of raised me and I will say helped me get into this business, understanding that, you know, this is all year round. You got to be a fan all year round. You got to cover things all year round was WGN Sports. Um, For a long time, I got a chance to go down to uh, a little third world country in Central America and always be connected to what was happening back home. And I'm sure uh, you've had that impact on a lot of people, not just myself, but people who are my age as well. Um, the 38-year career is coming to an end on Thursday. We're recording this on Tuesday. I just want to say thank you to all the view from all the viewers that are like myself who uh, who've taken in the product over the last four decades or so. I just want to start off by saying that. Well, I appreciate that very much. Um, I do want to circle back to the Belize thing. Uh, Bob Jordan, who used to be on our staff forever, uh, was a big scuba diver, and, and diving is really good in Belize. So Bob would walk down the main street of the little dive town that he was going to, and people would come running out of the shops to run up and touch him because they'd seen him on WGN. I mean, it's just insane the way things were back then. Obviously, it's not that way anymore, but man, yeah, everybody knew who you were. There was no question about that. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and on top of it, you you know, you came into that gig and that in the game pretty much at a pivotal time in not only Chicago sports, but in sports history, you know, with the 85 Bears around the corner and, of course, the drafting of Michael Jordan. When you jumped into it, did no one knows the kind of ride they're getting ready to go on, but what started to prepare you for, okay, this is this is not only the big time, but this is a special moment not only in the city's history, but in sports history as well? Well, I, I was busy early, I'll tell you that, because uh, I came from Champaign. Illinois had a really good basketball team that year, uh, won the Big Ten. Uh, they were going to the NCAA tournament, and they were going to play in Lexington uh, against Maryland and then probably against Kentucky. And then DePaul was in Ray Myers' final season as coach. Uh, they were really good, and they were going to St. Louis to play Wake Forest. So we go to Lexington on Thursday. Illinois beats Maryland. We do a live shot with Lou Henson on the news. We sleep in the airport. We get on a plane. We go to St. Louis. DePaul plays Wake Forest in the last game of the day. It goes to overtime, and the Demons blow it and Ray's career is over. Mm. Got to do all that stuff. Uh, we sleep in a hotel, get on a plane, get back to Lexington. Illinois gets totally screwed by the officials and loses by three at Kentucky to the Wildcats in their gym, which would never happen again. Right. Uh, so all that's going on. The news is at 9, and this game gets over about 3.30. Uh, we drive to Louisville, I believe it was, flew from Louisville back to Chicago. Fortunately, uh, we had the state high school championship game on that night on WGN, so the news came on at 10. 
So I'm in the middle of trying to get all this stuff together. And there's nothing in my future that could have been <laughs> more hectic than that three-day period was. So I was in pretty good shape. I was yeah. kind of, but then uh, we went to spring training and the Cubs made that massive trade at the end of spring training and, and got all those guys from the Phillies and kind of turned their deal around. And mm-hmm. yeah, then Jordan gets drafted. The Cubs win for the first time in 40 years and we're off and running. Yeah, and the, and the rest is history, right? Uh, the job, the lead sports anchor had a different, I won't say relevance or significance, but a different impact and a different role in a sports fan's life when you first started doing this as to now fast forward to Thursday when you wrap this thing up. Um, being the 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 conveyor of the, the the sports that we are all consuming, it really came from print, and the lead sports anchor or wherever your local television station was providing. How has the job changed from then to now? And what are some of the pros and cons in that, um, in, in the, the I, I should say, the influx of content and platforms and availability? Guys like myself who can get a microphone and still have certain opinions and talk to the fans, but in a different way. It's all kind of like an offshoot of what the lead sports anchor and the lead columnist or whatever your paper was for the time. Yeah, back in the day, that that was it. But, you know, now uh, it's all about how people obtain their information. I mean, uh, from what we gave them back in the 80s and the early 90s before there was ESPN or a cell phone. I guess ESPN was around then, but no phone, (laughs) no that stuff. Nobody had a laptop, blah, blah, blah. And now you can get uh, pretty much what we deliver at. Nine o'clock and ten thirty, you can get it on your wristwatch, right? So mm-hmm. uh, there's the biggest difference uh, in all of it. It's technology, no question about it, and it does make you adjust the way you present. I mean, uh, if you want to look at your watch and and see what's going on on ESPN.com or whatever, uh, that's all well and good, but you know you're not going to get in the Cubs clubhouse or the White Sox clubhouse or the Bulls locker room or the the Hawks dressing room on ESPN. Uh, that's where we're different and that's where we're better in terms of uh, delivering local stuff. The relationships that you can build and relationships sometimes that sour when you go to locker rooms and when you go to clubhouses and when you go to, um, you know, anything, any, covering any event, uh, how how were you taught to nurture those relationships? Being as... you. Like I said, you're the lead sports anchor, so it's not like you're offering so much of an opinion. You're, you're kind of relaying the news of the day and also giving the behind-the-scenes part of it. How did you how did you see those relationships change when opinions and things of that nature started to come into it? Because now you're in a situation where you're seeing the people that you're talking about on a daily basis, but uh, it's changing as far as access is concerned as well. Yeah, well, we were seeing them on a daily basis, and now we're not seeing them on a daily basis. You know, some of these teams are still doing zoom and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, it's in the last couple of years, it's really uh, taken a dive. And to be perfectly honest, that's kind of, uh, what's kind of, I wouldn't say soured me on the job because that's not true, but it's taken some of the fun out of it, not right. being able to clubhouses and all that kind of thing. Um, I was, you know, coming from Champaign, uh, and I'd been there for a while and I'd been around GN had hired me to go to spring training for them. Uh, our station in Champaign was on the Cubs network at that time. And 
uh, Jack Rosenberg was kind enough to call down there and say, you know, we need somebody to go do some interviews for us uh, for a preseason special. And, they, you know, they didn't have anybody. They didn't have any <laughs> real sportscasters. They had Jack Brickhouse and all those guys, but they weren't going out there to do that. Stuff. Right, so, right. So he hired me to do it. So I did it. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, But I was a little shy around the, around those guys. I mean, I didn't want to really uh, interrupt their routines or jump into their world. I was just trying to, you know, get some information from them. So um, I'm still a little bit that way in some regards. But uh, the longer you're in it, Jason, and the more confidence you, you get in yourself, I think uh, you kind of see yourself as a little bit more on equal standing with some of these guys. I, you know, I had a great relationship with Jordan uh, from the very first. I was telling somebody uh, just today that I remember going to Angel Guardian Gym up on the north side when the Bulls used to practice up there. Uh, Lockery was the coach, and Michael was practicing for the first week with the Bulls, and we'd all seen you know, the stuff he could do in, in the Olympics and in the NCAAs. And, you know, I'm the only guy up there. And I'm talking to Lockery. He goes, he's seen in practice for a week. He goes, you don't want to talk to me. He goes, you want to talk to this guy. Mm. So I've, I've known Michael since day one, and we've always got along pretty good. Uh, so he was into golf, right? Yeah. And he's playing the Western Golf Association, lets him into the Western Amateur. And he gets paired with Justin Leonard, who's really good and goes on to win the British Open. So my college roommate, and Justin are members at the same club, Royal Oaks in Dallas. And they're having a big testimonial dinner for Justin after he wins the British. And DA calls me and says, you think you can get Michael to say congratulations to Justin? I said, well, I'll be happy to ask him. So at the Birdo Center after practice, I go up to Michael. I say, hey, look, uh, I know you played with Justin Leonard at the at the Western Open over at Point of the Woods. Um, they want you to say a little congratulatory message here on tape because they're doing a big dinner for him. He goes, you know, F you, I'm not doing that stuff. <laughs> I said, hey, man, it's not for me. I said, I'll just tell him you wouldn't do it. <laughs> and I walked away. He goes, he waited for a second. He goes, get back over here. Takes the mic. Not only does he do a perfect 90 seconds. I mean, it's eloquent. No mistakes. One take. Drops the mic on the floor and says, you owe me. And he walked away. There it is. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's spectacular. It's memories you'll never forget. I remember sitting in a bowling alley with him at some charity event. Just he and I sitting there drinking a beer at the bar. Yeah. I mean, you know, that stuff would never happen today. Yeah. Yeah. Especially how guarded a lot of these teams are oh. and how all these athletes are. And I, and I don't mean to put it in a, a, a derogatory way, but they everybody's protecting their brand. So, you know, being human these days, you kind of get caught up for it uh, instead of being able to just, you know, relax yourself a little bit. Those those clubhouses and those locker rooms that you're around, especially that Bulls situation, you, you said Kevin Lockery told you you want to talk to that guy. Um, when did you know that it wasn't just a special talent, that this was, okay, this is getting ready to be something of the likes of the Ernie Banks of the world, the, you know, the Walter Paytons at that time, obviously, you know, running congruent to his career, but some of the special ones that this, uh, Gail Sayers, that this city had ever seen before. Well, I wasn't around for Gail, but I was certainly around for Walter, but uh, Michael Jordan was in a class by himself. I mean, game one, you know, he's out there killing people, scoring 40 points, 50 points. Nobody could stop him. 
except himself because he got hurt there that first year. Uh, but I mean, you knew, and we watched him, you know, he played for Bobby Knight in the Olympics and, you know, they were so good. They had to spread the wealth around a little bit. So you didn't really get to see the full effect of what Michael Jordan could do on the floor. And same thing in college, really. They, what they used to say, the only guy who held Michael under 20 was Dean Smith. Yeah. Well, once they cut him loose in the NBA, I mean, it was look out. It was unbelievable how great he was. And, uh, you know, he had to reinvent himself a couple of times and he did it with great success. And uh, I would say, you know, looking at back at 38 years uh, covering sports here in town, that whole era has to be uh, probably the greatest thing I've had a chance to do. That, that Chicago Bears run, you know, I. I, I've said many times on this pod, everybody knows, and my fiance says I say it too often, but I'm 41 years old. I was born in 1980. <laughs> and, and and I caught the Bears at the right time. I was five years old. Super Bowl shuffle was banging. You know, like I, I had the ruse. I had the headband. I had all the foolishness that any five-year-old should have. The same stuff that my son is asking me, for me now, but it's different now. It's like, right, right. Can you give me a Zach Levine jersey or a Kobe White jersey? <laughs> it's a little bit a little bit different. But that time and those characters, we, we talk a lot about social media. We talk a lot about um, protecting brands. Uh, a team like the 85 Bears probably wouldn't be able to exist today just because of all the personalities and how brash everything was and in your face. But what was that time like covering that team and understanding that um, it was not only something special, but looking back on it and, and witnessing maybe what wasn't captured in that moment as well? Well, we knew they were set to turn the corner because they made the NFC Championship game in 84. And really, we thought they might have gone to the Super Bowl that year. Um, in 85, I mean, they got way behind in the opening game against Tampa Bay and then just beat the snot out of them in the second half. And from that moment on, man, it was just Katie bar the door that nobody was going to stop them. I know they had a hiccup in that Monday night game at Miami, but, you know, almost every other game was an absolute blowout. And everybody, Everybody in town was on that bandwagon. Everybody. Uh, they did, those guys did so many commercials, local and national commercials, you know, McDonald's and Campbell's Soup, and you go on down the line. Yeah. We had our thing to do on Monday. We would jump in the car and go to McDonald's and shoot them shooting a commercial. That's what we did. Or chase them down. I remember chasing McMahon around Cafe Babariba down on Halstead one day. Um, and Perry, same thing. Ditka, same thing. And everybody was involved in it. And it was crazy, but it was really, really fun. And I would say, by and large, those guys were uh, a very cooperative group to work with. I thought we had a great time with them. And, and it stayed that way really right on through New Orleans. And, and looking back on it, you know, who knew that that would be the last time this city would taste uh, that kind of success? Because I always say, and like you just mentioned just now, uh, you know, some people fall in the Cubs gang, some people fall in the Sox gang, some people fall in the Hawks, Hawks gang or the Bulls gang. But the one umbrella that covers yeah. the city is the Chicago Bears. Are, are you surprised that it's taken this long for this team oh. to even get back to it, sniff it, win it again? And, and what do you think is behind some of that, seeing what you've seen over the last 38 years? Well, the easy answer to that is the fact that McCaskey's on the team and they're mismanaging it. I'm not so sure uh, that's the case. I think 
you know, they won in 85. They certainly had enough uh, weaponry to win again in 86. But, you know, Buddy left the day after the Super Bowl or two days after. I remember uh, quick buying a plane ticket and jumping on a plane with my cameraman to go to Philadelphia for his welcome ceremony over there. Uh, that hurt the defense, and the defense was the backbone of that team, uh, in spite of the fact they had, you know, a lot of really good, talented players on offense. But the defense was what made it. And uh, Vince Tobin came in to run it, did a great job, but it wasn't just quite the same. And you know, they had more injuries after that. You know, it's a lot like the Cubs uh, in 2016. Uh, they they were down to Cleveland. They came back, rallied, and won it. And then everybody thought they'd win the next year with the same cast of characters. And, you know, they they had some injuries, but they had that rain out in the Washington series to start things off. And it pushed the schedule back. Then they flew to L.A. in the middle of the night. They had to stop in Albuquerque because somebody had a panic attack. And get to L.A. until like eight o'clock the next morning and had to play the next day. And uh, they were behind the eight ball from the very start. So. if you expect things to be exactly the same the next year following a championship year, uh, you're going to be wrong because the only constant in any of this stuff is change, right? And uh, it's never the same. It's always harder, I think, the second time. And I think the Cubs found that out, and I'm sure the Bears found that out in 86. You you mentioned the Cubs, and I, I was at the score at a time where Dusty Baker became the manager. And the tenor and temperature of this Cubs thing changed for me for the first time watching it from afar. As a Sox fan, also growing up on the north side in Evanston and and being around the the whole Cubs thing, it was always like, oh, it's cool to go out there to watch a game. Hopefully they'll compete sometimes, but who knows? And then Dusty Baker gets hired, and then you get your first back-to-back winning seasons in Cup history, I believe. And all of a sudden, along with everything that came with, with... uh, Dusty and the neighborhood and the players that were on the team and the broadcasting group, the, the temperature changed. And I, I feel like for some good reasons and some tough reasons, it hasn't gone back. Uh, how, if you were to explain to a Cubs fan who is 10, 12, 14 years old and all they know and all they've seen is either hunts for success or success, or now this post-success retooling, what would you describe to them in the eras in, you know, the 80s, the 90s, the aughts, and, and, and beyond? Well, again, it's not easy to do it uh, more than once in a row. Uh, they had their opportunity in 2003, let's face it. Uh, the whole Bartman thing, which mm-hmm. obviously is blown way out of proportion. Uh, there were errors and other poor managerial decisions that were made during that time that really contributed more, I think, than Bartman ever did. But yep. I took some of the starch out of it, and then there was a bit of an announcer issue. Uh, Stoney and Chip were not <laughs> luck in that clubhouse because they were a little hypercritical on the air. And I wouldn't say hypercritical, but uh, the players didn't appreciate it. And that led to those guys leaving. And I don't know, it just seems to me like when the players are that worried about what the announcers are saying about them, then you got a problem on the field too. And that's kind of what happened with them. But then Pinella comes in and they win uh, two years in a row and make the postseason twice in a row. Um, I think everybody thought they'd do a little bit better than they did then, but they bombed out twice in a row against uh, Arizona and the Dodgers. And, and then we had to wait for a while, didn't we? <laughs> yes. 
just a little bit, just a little bit. And then you get to Jason Hayward speaking to people during the rain delay. Next thing you know, I, I mean, it was my first chance in covering any kind of postseason baseball out of town. Never mind you, you know, it being Cleveland versus the, the Cubs in the World Series. Um, it was it was it was quite the moment to see that it did. In so all where, the were you, where were you standing when Rizzo caught the ball from Bryant? Oh, I was home. I was home. I was at You're home. We, we yeah, I was back in Chicago. We only went out for I believe it was game. Which we were out there for two games for Cleveland in Cleveland. So that would have been what games three and four, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. So we were out there for a little bit, but back home, uh, just taking it all in and and through my Cubs fans, friends, enjoying their moments. A whole bunch of guys where I never thought I would hear or say, you know, this guy's crying. Yeah, that guy was crying. So it was it was it was one of those moments. And I, speaking of, I'd like to ask you of all the championships that you've been around. Uh, you know, it. I I wouldn't be surprised if the Cubs one was the most momentous. But like, which which one was the most? Um, the one that had you awestruck the most. The one that was like, okay. For whatever reason, this season happened and it had so many moments and there was so much intrigue and interest and fascination. Like, which one was it for you? Well, if you if you tried to pick one of the Bulls championships, it'd be like picking which one of your kids is your favorite, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't think you can do that. Um, I'm sure you can. You just can't tell the kids to their face. You know what I mean? Don't say it out loud, right? Right. <laughs> I, think, I think I already said as a group, uh, the championships and Michael's deal was probably the era that has, has struck me the most over time. But um, if you're looking at one event, man, that or a series of events there in 85 and then Super Bowl in 86, I mean, those games were epic, every single one, even the close games against Green Bay when Dick hands the ball off to Perry and he scores a touchdown on Monday night football. And then Guys are cheap shotting Matsui over on the bench at the Packer game at Lambeau Field. And uh, the beating they put on Dallas down in Texas and all those games. I mean, the game against the Rams that sent them to the Super Bowl when the snow started falling right at the end. I mean, it was just all too much to take in. And then you get eight days in New Orleans on top of it. Yes, sir. Come yes, on. Sir. <laughs> we had one 30-minute newscast back then, Jason. Oh, we worked hard, but we didn't. We weren't lacking for spare time down there. Oh my God, I and can only got, imagine. I'm early on in my career then, and I'm going, "What? Yeah, going on here?" <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine getting getting as many interviews in the can as you possibly can, <laughs> and getting hydrated, going going outside and enjoying <laughs> yourself. That I, those those are the days uh, that I that one can only hope for as, as a broadcaster. Um, speaking of broadcasting. You know, what WGN has meant will mean, and 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 um, just the standard that it, that it set. You know, for kids my age, understanding. Okay, it seemed this was Chicago Station, right? Like, and then the Superstation vibes as well, where it was like, oh, okay, what TBS is to them down there in Atlanta, that's what's happening with with WGN, and that's how Cubs baseball became a worldwide phenomenon. Obviously, with Harry Carey and Steve Stone and and all the things that were provided because of those entities. When the Cubs struck the deal with Marquee Sports, how did that change what you guys were? as a channel, what maybe you felt as a broadcaster? Like, what, what was the, 
what, what was the different vibe and different feeling knowing that after a hundred some odd years of being on WGN, whether it be on the radio side or the TV side, the Chicago Cubs would no longer be a part of that outfit? Heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. I mean, um, we had seen it coming, obviously. I mean, most of the years I was there, we did 150 Cubs games. And uh, uh, some years we did 210 baseball games when you throw the White Sox in there. Um, uh, once the Ricketts took over and decided they were going to uh, look into the marquee thing, they started taking games away from us. Uh, we did part of it ourselves. We sold half our inventory to Comcast Sportsnet. Uh, and they were doing about 80 and we were doing about 80, mm-hmm. you know, give, and then, uh, when this marquee thing started to actually take some legs, then the Cubs wanted to cut us out completely. And we were able to, uh, hang on to 45 games a year for two or three seasons there, right up to the end. Um, the last game was the third to last game of the year in 2019 in St. Louis against the Cardinals. Uh, it was tough. I mean, I remember doing a live shot with Mark Brady in the five o'clock news. Uh, Grades and I had worked together forever and who knew if we're going to work together again. And the same uh, for Len and JD. Uh, I was up in the booth at, during the six o'clock news with them and we had a, a really nice conversation and a remembrance and it was sad. And after the game, same thing. Um, but you know, like I said, everything changes. Um, do I think Marquis doing a, a good job? I think they're doing a pretty good job. I mean, there's good and bad in it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to fill the channel 24 seven when all you got is one team. So they've branched out and they're doing some different things and I get it, uh, you know, good for them. Um, I would still hold the Cubs broadcast on WGN with, with Arnie and with, Pete Tolman, Brady, and Skip Ellison directing, and all the crew that we had then, I would hold them up against anybody, especially uh, anybody today. I just think we did it better than anybody, and uh, it was great being a part of it, the small part that I got to play in. Nah, you played a big part of it, man. You played a, a really, really big part of it. The, those, uh, those vibes were brought, like I said, all the way down to Belize City. Back in the day, and and I was I was very appreciative. I'll, I'll never forget the Ryan Ryan Sandberg uh, home run derby in Wrigley Field. Like all those moments I took in via WGN and you guys, and, and I'm very very appreciative. What's next for you, man? I mean, you know, y- y- you've had a long, great career, and, and and the reason why I keep harping on it is because um, broadcasters can only hope to maintain the kind of longevity that you have, especially in the third market in the country for almost four decades. So what's next for Dan Rome? Um, really not a whole lot, I don't think. It is. Well, we'll talk to you later, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a couple of weeks to decompress. And, yes, uh, sir. We have uh, three grandkids that we're very involved with, so we're going to see a lot of them. We'll play a little more golf, probably, and my wife and I are going to travel some, and uh, we'll just see where everything takes us. It's You know, it's kind of been that way during my career. I was fortunate enough to to work seven years in Champaign and loved that. And then got the call to come to Chicago, uh, actually interviewed with channel nine and channel two on the same day and wound up deciding, uh, channel nine only because of the Cubs. And then, you know, lo and behold, I wind up like chip was doing Fox games when he first began. So I did all the weekend. Games. 
Cubs? Did mm-hmm. uh, Kerry Wood's first game as a Cub? Did Sammy's 66th home run? I mean, I got the chance to do so many things and call some of Jordan's games and uh, Notre Dame football the last time they won a national championship. We had five games. I was a play-by-play and Paul Horning and John Mengelt were on the call with me. So yes, sir. we've done, I mean, I've done more stuff than I ever, ever could have imagined as a kid or a college student or anything. And I'm so grateful uh, that that people have allowed me to continue. You know, if people don't watch you, you're not going to be on there for very long. And uh, people have been so nice and so kind and gracious to me over almost four decades. It's really, that's the most unbelievable part of it. Jace, I think that uh, you're able to develop these relationships with people and, you know, they really like you, which is, it's just a good thing. Believe me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Dan, I truly appreciate you carving out some of this time. Uh, I'm looking forward uh, as I have for a very long time. Thursday's broadcast, uh, seeing you uh, sign off for the last time in 38 years is going to be memorable. And I just want to say, uh, as a young sports fan to an old tired man who was, you know, turning to like the, uh, the, the crotchety old brother that I <laughs> used to talk about when I was a kid, uh, you, you've, uh, you've taken me through all these stages so they could blame you, Dan Rohn. Uh, but seriously though, thank you. Thank you for everything that you have done in, in, in relaying, conveying the message of sports in this city. Thank you for, uh, doing it with, uh, a lot of, uh, not just passion, but also class. And, and I think that's the thing that I think, oozes out of the, the television when when people see you. You, uh, you never made yourself the story, which uh, coming from me, I don't know how the hell you did it, to be honest with you, but <laughs> but you did it, my man. Uh, and congrats on a great career. Sincerely, man. Thank you for, uh, for, for holding it down for as long as you have in this city. Uh, I appreciate the kind words and you keep up the good work and keep Kendall and Will in check, will you? <laughs> uh, I can't, I can't <laughs> promise you either one of those things, but, but I will try, brother. Thank you. All right. The Full Goal with Jason Goff. That's all the time we have for episode 107 of the Full Goal Podcast with Jason Goff. want to thank our guest, of course, Dan Rome, the great Dan Rome. When you are listening to this, that means he's got a couple more broadcasts, so make sure you tune in to his sign-off on Thursday night at 9 o'clock, I believe. Shout-out to Dan Rome. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate you so much, man. As always, our production staff, the shadowy figure that is known as Steve Cerruti, and the actor Jesse Lopez, my main man, Tony Gill. For the fellas, I am Jason Goff. Thanking you for downloading this thing, listening to this thing, sharing it, subscribing to it, rating and reviewing it. Whatever you do for this pod, we truly appreciate you. Uh, as always, man, we will talk to you on Thursday, right? We got some stuff planned on Thursday. I'm looking forward to talking a little bit more baseball uh, with some of the ladies that I've been looking forward to talking to. So uh, I'll leave you, you know, I'll leave you hanging a little bit there, but make sure you hang out with us on Thursday uh, for Thursday's pop episode 108. Um, and that's it. That's it. Um, as always, right. We leave you with this. Uh, take care of each other and be safe. And that little voice that you're going to hear at the end of this podcast is very appreciative. Uh, I should say very appreciative uh, that you that you listened to his daddy and his daddy is very appreciative for his being because um, unfortunately there are a lot of families who are going to bed without their little people and uh, that we shouldn't that shouldn't be lost on us so all right y'all 
Uh, take care of each other and be safe, as always. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans at Empower What's Next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.